Hello and welcome to another installment of Grasping Scripture. Thanks for joining us today. Well, we're starting a new chapter. In, in fact, we're starting a new book. We just finished 2 Corinthians. Now we're moving on into Galatians. It happens to be the next book in your Bible. And it's another one of Paul's letters. This time, he's writing to the church in the province of Galatia. It's a Roman province. Uh, You may be acquainted with some of these churches. If you go back and read in the book of Acts, say along 13th, 14th chapter of Acts, we have the record of him starting some of these congregations. They would include Iconium, Lystra, Derbe, some notable events taking place there. You might go check out that part of the book of Acts. Well, Paul is writing to these churches, and it's sometime later after he started, and he did visit those churches each of his three missionary journeys that we have record of. But by this point, this is probably around 49 AD. Now, the Jerusalem Council was in 50 and dealt with the issue of how Jewish do Gentile converts to Christianity need to be. Well, Paul, a year earlier, is dealing with that issue in Galatia and trying to set them straight because there's a group that, well, that comes to be known as the Judaizers. And no, they don't want to name everybody Judy. They want everybody to be Jewish. Um, That group had kind of gained some influence in these early churches, and Paul had to confront them. And ultimately, the church in council in Jerusalem with the apostles had to render a verdict that would stop some of this. You see some of the same conflict taking place over in, oh, about the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, where you have Peter going to Cornelius's house and Cornelius and his household coming to faith and the response of those that Peter reported back to in Jerusalem, where they kind of questioned that until Peter came and gave them the full report. And they saw the evidence that, that God was pouring out his Holy Spirit on Gentiles that came to faith, just as he had on Jews. And that kind of resolved the issue. So there are some larger issues working in the background here, but at its core, what Paul is dealing with in this letter to the Galatian churches is the very simple fact that they had taken the grace of God, the free gift of salvation, and they'd added to it. They'd added a list of requirements, some rules, a law that had to be adhered to. So it was no longer saved by faith alone. It was saved by faith and following these rules. That becomes a challenging situation. I think for us as modern day believers, one of the biggest challenges is for us to step back and look at our lives, look at our practice of faith and ask the question, have I along the way with good intentions Yielding good purposes, maybe. Have I, along the way, exchanged, saved by grace alone, for saved by grace alone, but along with some other stuff? Have you, maybe unintentionally, or without being conscious of it, have you added more? to salvation. Scripture's clear. If we call on the name of the Lord, we will be saved. It is a condition of the heart of the sinner crying out to God. 
it is God's gift to us that he purchased at an incredibly high price on the cross of Calvary. But then he gives freely because he loves us. All we need do is accept the gift. So have you called on the Lord to be saved? And if you have, along the way, have you started adding, I'm saved by Jesus and? If you have, this might be a good time to do a heart check. Because the book of Galatians is going to challenge us. Well, that's enough background on the book. We're about to delve into this first chapter. And... I'll ask your forgiveness on this. We're going to end just with the first chapter. But the first chapter stops in the middle of a discussion Paul is having. So you'll have to join us for the second chapter to get the complete idea of where he's going. Now let's turn to God in a word of prayer before we start turning to his word. Join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your blessing, for your grace and mercy that you lavish upon us. Lord, we thank you for this incredible gift that we could never earn or deserve. We thank you for your love for us, that, Father, we, we rejoice in receiving, and yet we still don't totally understand. And we thank you that you have birthed a joy and a love in our hearts that we may share you with others. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to studying your word, help us to hear your voice. Open our hearts to the message that you would have for us. Help us to think clearly about these words as they speak to us today. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, the letter to the church of Gal- churches of Galatia is pretty straightforward. It follows that standard layout of a letter that we find in the first century Roman world where you've got your introduction and there's only one change from some of Paul's other letters. You may think, oh, he just came off of Corinthians. You know, he really, he really confronts the church at Corinth. Well, Paul is so upset about what's going on, so concerned about what's going on at these churches, that he skips the normal blessing that takes place after the introduction, and he just lays out his grievance with the church. So let's pick up in the first chapter of Galatians. It says, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. So right there, first sentence, there's no question who wrote the letter to the, who wrote the letter of Galatians? Well, Paul, it says so right there at the beginning. Paul, an apostle. So it's not just any Paul, it's Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself. And by God the Father, who raised Jesus from the dead. Now, why is he introducing himself that way? Well, because we know from later on, and we know from from history and study and, and other sources, that 
what was happening in this church is this group had come in advocating an adherence to Jewish law. To be a good Christian, you had to be a good Jew. And if you were from a Gentile background, well, you had to be circumcised and you had to adhere to the Jewish law, and then you could be a good follower of Christ. That's not gospel. That's what they were teaching. And they started to, because that was different than what Paul taught, they started to discredit him with the people by saying, oh, well, he's not a real apostle. Uh, You know, he's just repeating his version of what he learned from the real apostles, but he's got it all twisted, so we don't have to listen to him. You know, they were trying to undermine any reason that they should adhere to Paul. And Paul's going, look, I wasn't appointed by some group in Jerusalem or anything else. Jesus picked me. Remember vision on the road to Damascus? And God chose me for this. That's my credentials. It's kind of hard to argue with them when he plays the whole Jesus card, you know? Um, it's, it's a big deal. Jesus didn't appear on the road to everybody and tell them what their job was. But he did with Paul. And so Paul goes on to talk about this. He says in verse 2, All the brothers and sisters, and I know literally it says brothers and encompasses sisters, but New Living Translation phrases it more the way we would understand it today. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. So there's a little bit of a blessing there. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Now, did you catch that in verse 4? Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned. So it was always God's plan. We see that from the very beginning. In fact, I would say from not our beginning, prior to our beginning, before the first word of creation was spoken, God knew the price of bringing creation into being. None of it was a surprise. It was his plan from the foundations of the world that Jesus would give his life for our sins. Now, there's an in order before we finish the verse. Just as God our Father planned, in order, why? To rescue us from this evil world in which we live. To rescue us. Why did God plan from the beginning for Jesus to die for our sins, to give his life for our sins? For us. To redeem us, in order to rescue us, is why he did it. So with Paul, let's all join in. Verse 5, saying, all glory to God forever and ever. Amen. Paul gives a really good presentation of the core of the gospel message right there. Then we get to Paul shifting gears a little. And this is where we'd normally find more of a blessing and that type of thing. And and he doesn't do that. He starts in verse 6 this way. I am shocked 
that you are turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Ooh, boy, he's hitting them pretty hard there. They're being fooled. The truth is being twisted deliberately. And what is that truth? That truth is the gospel of Christ. That they have been saved through the loving mercy of Christ. And they're being taught some new good news, which really isn't good news at all. They're being taught, you're saved by the mercy of Christ if you do these things that make you righteous enough to get God's mercy. Well, that's not good news. That's right back where we were, lost in our sin, unable to atone for it. See the importance of Christ alone? It can't be Christ and. It has to be Christ is everything. Well, as he goes on in verse 8, he says, Let God's curse fall on anyone, including us or even an angel from heaven who preaches a different kind of good news than the one we preached to you. I say again, what we have said before, If anyone preaches any other good news than the one you welcomed, let that person be cursed. He's saying, look, this is so important because what they begin to teach leads people to hell and has no avenue for them to receive eternal life because it is a false gospel that has no power to save. So Paul takes this pretty seriously. He says, anybody teaching something other than the legitimate good news that you've already heard that you accepted Christ based on, if anybody preaches any word other than it, he's, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's an angel. Anybody proclaiming something other than the good news, let him be cursed. And then verse 10, he's saying, obviously, I am not trying to win the approval of people. Wow. Um, I, I enjoy Paul. Maybe I read a little too much into what Paul has to say. I don't know. But... Um, You look at all the different places in scripture where Paul uses a bit of, uh, a nice word would be irony, um, uses a bit of sarcasm, essentially, in what he's doing, uh, twisting things around uh, to point out the absurdity of some of the claims that are being made. (laughs) You know, here, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people but of God. Well, yeah, obviously, because everything he's just said up to this point would have been highly offensive to the people proclaiming a false gospel and several of the ones in Galatia that had been mired in that teaching of a false gospel. 
Uh, so yeah, he's not trying to win the approval of people because for Paul, there is only one opinion that matters. And it's not even Paul's opinion. It's God's. He is totally concerned about God. What God has to say about the situation. How God would view Paul's ministry and his teaching. So he can boldly say, obviously, I'm not trying to win the approval of people, but of God. If pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. Now, at first read, you may read that and say, yeah, if pleasing people were my goal, I would not be Christ's servant. You know, oh, that's another word for Christ. No. Paul has dedicated, when he walked away from his Jewish background as a, as a Pharisee, quite possibly a member of the Sanhedrin, he walked away from everything. He walked into being ostracized, people trying to kill him. When he did that, he made the choice to be a servant of Christ. And if he were to do anything other than seek the approval of God, he understands he wouldn't be serving God anymore. He would be serving people. There is only room in our lives for one God. We need to make sure it's the one true God. When we become a slave to likes on social media, or we become a slave to popular opinion, or how will people around town talk about me or think about me, or what will they say, as opposed to following what God has said? We're worshiping the wrong God. Because we're letting a false God govern our actions, our values, and our lives. Strong word of caution there. And Paul's making it clear he's not serving the wrong God. Now, in verse 11, Paul starts into the real body of the text. And so 11 begins this way. Dear brothers and sisters, I want you to understand that the gospel, or excuse me, that the gospel message I preach is not based on mere human reasoning. I received my message from no human source, and no one taught me. Instead, I received it by direct revelation from Jesus Christ. Now, let me step back and say, you will notice here Paul is not prescribing this as the way the Galatians should learn the gospel. But he's pointing out, look, I didn't go to Jerusalem, get taught by them, and now I'm trying to repeat what they taught me. He's saying, no, my experience was different. Christ revealed these things to me. Christ revealed his truth, his word. Christ revealed his calling on Paul's life. And Paul fled and spent years plowing through the Torah, the Old Testament, the scriptures that existed at that day. And God revealed to him in the Old Testament, Christ helped him to see the truth of the gospel throughout the 
scope of Scripture. It wasn't that he, he sat under the teaching of the apostles in Jerusalem. In fact, he addresses that in a minute. But he's saying, look, no, this is this is from God. Kind of a, if you have an issue with it, then take it up with him. But quit attacking me and saying it doesn't matter that what I'm saying is, is a weak imitation of what the apostles teach, which implies that, you know, you don't have to listen to him. You need to listen to us. We're teaching what they really teach. And the truth is, it's just the opposite. The ones that were what came to be called Judaizers that were advocating an adherence to the Jewish law and traditions were the ones teaching something different than the apostles. Well, as Paul goes on, verse 13, he says, You know what I was like when I followed the Jewish religion, how I violently persecuted God's church. I did my best to destroy it. I was far ahead of my fellow Jews in my zeal for the traditions of my ancestors. Notice how he talks about it there. Not his faith, not his allegiance to God, his desire to serve God, but in his zeal for the traditions of his ancestors. Do we ever get a little too zealous? for the traditions of our ancestors to the detriment of the gospel? Just a question for us to chew on. We're going on in 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. When this happened, I did not rush out to consult with any human beings, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to consult with those who were apostles before I was. Instead, I went away into Arabia, and later I returned to the city of Damascus. Then three years later, I went to Jerusalem to get to know Peter, and I stayed with him for 15 days. The only other apostle I met at that time was James, the Lord's brother. I declare before God that what I am writing to you is not a lie. After that, excuse me, after that visit, I went north into the provinces of Syria and Cilicia. And still the Christians and the churches in both Judah, or excuse me, and still the Christians in the churches in Judah didn't know me personally. All they knew was that people were saying, the one who used to persecute us is now preaching the very faith that he tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. That's Paul's credentials. That's Paul's claim to legitimacy. That I'm proclaiming the word. People are looking what God has looking at what God has done in my life, and they are glorifying him. Isn't that what Jesus told all of us on the Sermon on the Mount, fifth chapter of Matthew, I believe? 
No, that's not right. I'll have to look that up. I don't have it in front of me. Um, But let your light so shine before men that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And Paul's saying, look, that's the evidence that I am serving Christ because that's what's happening. That's what has happened. And he can draw lines to his history and his and as evidence that, look, I didn't go to Jerusalem and get taught by all these guys. And it, he said, I hung out with Peter for 15 days. It's a little over two weeks by our reckoning. And I met James. And that's the entire list of other apostles I've met. So you can't say that I learned everything from them and then I started twisting it. What I learned, I learned from God. Now, there's one verse buried in there that I want to touch on, just because it may bring up issues as we read it, and I I didn't read it in such a way as to gloss over it. I just wanted to get through the bulk of that text there. And that is verse 15. But even before I was born, God chose me and called me by his marvelous grace. Now, there's a couple ways that can be seen. For our uh, brethren out there that uh, adhere to a a Reformed theology or a Calvinist viewpoint, um, they would see that very clearly as saying, you know, it's predestination and God's irresistible grace. And if you don't know those terms, that's okay. You're welcome to look them up. Um, I'll just, full disclosure, that's not where I stand on this verse. I don't believe that God's foreknowledge and him having a plan based on his foreknowledge negates our free will. And so as I read this, yeah, God knew what Paul would do in his life and how he would respond to that encounter on the road to Damascus. In fact, I contend even at the road to Damascus, Paul had a choice. He could have continued on and met that Christian God told him to go find and be baptized. Or he could have said, no, this is all just crazy. I don't know what's going on, but it's not this. You may say, well, that'd be a crazy choice. The truth is the choice to not follow Christ is always a crazy choice. Because without Christ, we're all bound for eternity in hell. That's what's coming. And how crazy is it to not accept the gift of forgiveness, eternal life, right relationship with God. Forgiveness. How crazy is it to not do that? But it's still a choice, and many choose to reject God. But even before I was born, God chose me and he called me by his marvelous grace. God had a plan and a purpose for Paul's life and knew what Paul would choose and what he would do. God knew that Paul would be zealous for the traditions of his ancestors and try to destroy the church right up until that moment when everything changed. 
He goes on to say, Then it pleased him to reveal his son to me, so that I would proclaim the good news about Jesus to the Gentiles. That wasn't really ever Paul's plan. I think Paul, with his zealousness for his ancestors and their traditions, and we see this even as he went into different communities in the Roman world, he sought out synagogues or gatherings of Jews if there weren't enough Jews in the town to have a synagogue as his first place to proclaim the gospel, even though he knew his calling was primarily to bring the gospel message to the Gentiles. And boy, did God use him for that. Tremendously used him for that. Well, I wanted to go back and touch on that verse and, um, you know, share with you where my perspective on it is. There are other perspectives, and um, either way, I don't see that as a salvation issue. So I don't think it's willing. I don't think it's something to fight over. But that's just not my understanding of Scripture on that. That it was predestination, and there was no choice. So just wanted to clarify that. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of chapter one for Galatians. So we're going to wrap it up there for today. We'll close out with a word of prayer, and I hope you join us next week as we venture into the rest of that discussion um, about the apostles and Paul, and then he goes into how they recognized him as an apostle and some things along those lines. But that's in chapter two. We'll get there next week. Thanks for joining us this week. Let's turn to the Lord as we close things out. Heavenly Father, today we just turn to you, asking that you would make evident your blessing. Father, that you would give us eyes to see all around us how you are working, no matter what situation we are in. And Father, that you would help us to rely on your grace and your mercy, not on what we do and accomplish but Father, help us to rest wholly on your grace. That we would live in that good news of Jesus Christ. And that we would proclaim that good news to the world that so desperately needs to hear it. Thank you for saving us. And making us yours. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.